0: This is Everyday Wellness, a podcast dedicated to helping you achieve your health and wellness goals and provide practical strategies that you can use in your real life. And now, here is your host, nurse practitioner Cynthia
1: Thurlow. Today, I am so excited to have Dr. Kate Shanahan. She is a board-certified family medicine physician and a globally recognized metabolic health expert who has changed the nutrition conversation. If you've heard that vegetable oils are unhealthy and that bone broth is part of a healthy diet, that was thanks to Dr. Kate's books, blogs, and her work with the LA Lakers and other legendary sports franchises. Good morning. It's so nice to have you with us.
0: Thank you, Cynthia. This is really a thrill to be here with you.
1: Yeah. So I think it's, you know, part of our story makes us, you know, kind of explains how we've kind of gotten to where we are today. And so my understanding is you started with a, you know, more traditional kind of Western medicine mindset, which we all know doesn't really focus on food as a really integral part of health and wellness. So through your journey, what really spurned your desire to learn more? I know that you also have a very strong biochemistry background, which, you know, might have kind of fostered that scientific kind of curiosity about learning more about the foods that we're eating. But what actually, where did that come from?
0: When I got sick, so you know, I had gone through my entire medical training hoping to get to the underlying cause of actually my own sports injuries, and I didn't really get that. So I got sick, and I had to question everything that I had learned about nutrition at some point when nothing else worked, right? Mm-hmm. I couldn't walk. I had an infection in my knee. I, that's what I ultimately figured wow. out myself. There was no answer from the orthopedic surgeons and the various specialists that I went around, and, you know, trying to get help from. So ultimately my husband pointed out to me that my diet was kind of based on sugar at the point in time and threw a book at me called Spontaneous Healing by Andrew Weil, where I found information on essential fatty acids that I found like perplexing, Mm -hmm. you know, the omega-3 and omega-6 that everybody hears about now, but this was way back 20 years ago, almost. Mm -hmm. And I was perplexed because I Hadn't heard about it in medical school, and you know he was talking about them as their essential fats, and that was just shocking that that was a something that my training that I paid a lot for, <laughs> you know, and as doctors, I'm sure you've worked with enough doctors we studied pretty hard and we feel like we've got the most fundamental stuff pertaining to health. It should have been covered. And that made me mad. And so I wanted to get to the root of it. And I ultimately discovered that my medical training and what doctors still learn, the nutrition part of it is based on a lie. Mm -hmm. And that was fascinating and infuriating. And it changed everything about the way I practice medicine after that. So that's how I got into it. It was because I discovered we'd been lied to and the biochemistry background really enabled me to go against, like it gave me the confidence Mm -hmm. to go against what I had learned, right? That's not easy. (laughs) I'm sure you've been through that process yourself. It's very Lonely. And, you know, this again, 20 years ago on the island of Hawaii, before Google was a thing, I was the only doctor talking about butter was a good thing. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't worry about our cholesterol. And that was something that to get to that place, I couldn't have done it without having a very strong biochemistry background. So I leaned on that biochemistry because I, I see that sort of as the math of the body, you know, that tells us how the blueprint of the human body comes together. You know, we do learn, I don't know about what you learned, but medical doctors, we have to take a lot of cellular physiology and then systemic physiology, how it all fits together. And all that stuff is really complicated and fascinating, but without really the grounding on how our diets could be impacting that. We can't think about how our diets could be impacting that. And that's, I had this strange schism and you probably had it too, where it was all about calories. And, you know, I was reading all this stuff about the complexity of the human body and even something as simple as just how does our blood clot and how does it not clot, right? There's like tables of clotting factor cascades and the intrinsic and extrinsic pathways and then the platelets and that's a whole nother thing. And, you know, you're spending a week just learning this one aspect of life and it's all made out of molecules, complex information And yet what we think about our food is not the complex information. It's just energy, right? So that's why I was at the time having hundreds and hundreds of calories of sugar and simple carbohydrates. And it never dawned on me that stuff was too simple there's no information in that. And then the whole seed oil thing is that's just basically giving your body misinformation. And so it just makes all of this complex physiology that's supposed to be functioning impossible to function at its normal fullest level. So, you know, I was basically disabled from an infection that my body should have been able to fight off, but I wasn't giving myself the right kind of, well, I wasn't eating the right diet
1: simple as that. It's such an incredible journey because, you know, for so many of the healthcare providers that come on, it's been an illness or it's been some type of situation with a loved one, a child, a family member that has suddenly spurned their desire to look a little bit more at the nutritional piece, which is so foundational to our health as we both know. And I think for myself, you know, after years and years and years of working in cardiology and and we know cardiology is very pharmaceuticals driven, it's procedures, it's pharmaceuticals. And I was seeing an increasingly sicker population despite multi-drug therapy and all these interventions that we were doing and surgeries. And I kept thinking to myself, there has to be more to it than this. And so I know much to your point about, you know, when you kind of take a stand against what is considered to be conventional knowledge, you're sometimes people might look at you a little skeptically, or they may just tell you you're wrong. Uh, you know, thankfully for the most part, because I was talking about food, most of the physicians and other NPs and PAs I work with were like, you know, you're just kind of this weird nutrition person, but it all starts with food. And that's really what we're talking about. So you went through this process, you know, you had this awareness, you dove into the research. And, you know, I think the thing that I've really appreciated about a lot of the information that you've shared and the books that you've written is really talking about the danger of, seed oils, as we've kind of touched on very briefly, but let's talk about what that is because the unfortunate thing is that the highly processed, highly excitotoxin foods that most Westernized countries and especially United States are consuming are full of these seed oils. And so let's unpack like what they are and what they do to our bodies and how detrimental they are. And I hope for everyone that listens to this podcast really understands that this is at the focal point of why we are dealing with so much food addiction. There's so much inflammation, so much illness, but I will let you kind of dive into this because this is really your area of expertise. And certainly I've learned a lot through you and I know my listeners will as well.
0: So seed oils and vegetable oils are the same thing, different names for the same thing. And what they are is they are your number one health enemy. And, you know, if you can get them out of your diet, that is the very first foundational step to enabling your body to function normally earlier, I was talking about empty calories. Well, these are worse than empty calories. These are calories that are full of inflammation, promoting fatty acids. And it's like filling your body with something that actually impairs your body's ability to do anything, any process in your body, it's going to be more difficult. And so what are they like? What are they literally? And when you're looking at them in the store, there's three C's. I call them the hateful eight because there's a total of eight of them. There's three C's and three S's you're going to find in the grocery store. And then there's two more that are mostly in restaurants. And I'm talking about even like good sit down restaurants where you might be paying a hundred dollars for a night out. So the three C's are corn, canola, cotton seed. The S's are soy, sunflower, safflower. And then in the restaurant, you also uh, get the rice bran and the grapeseed oils. You also get something called blends. Like a, if you ask for olive oil, sometimes the servers will tell you, yeah, we have olive oil, but it's because the container back there says olive oil blend. And they themselves don't know that it could be 1% olive oil and 99% canola or soy. So like a lot of folks have no idea how that they can be following a healthy diet and still getting a lot of these in their body. Because even if you don't eat junk food, they're in junk food, right? They are basically the reason everybody knows junk food's bad. Nobody argues about that, but no one has really said, this is what makes junk food bad. And one of the things is sugar. Everybody knows sugar's bad for you. The other thing that it's just not talked about is the oil like at chips and twinkies and cookies and pastries and everything that we know isn't healthy you look at the ingredient it's one of those seed oils is in there but it's also in a lot of foods that we wouldn't think to look for like peanut butter and things that are considered healthy or part of like a vehicle of you eating healthy like if you want to have salad well good luck finding a salad dressing that doesn't either lie about being made of olive oil. Cause when you turn it around, mm-hmm. it might have a drop of olive oil in there, but just like the blend situation, it's one of the hateful eights is first and things that, you know, you wouldn't expect like energy bars or protein bars that like these things are supposed to be sort of healthy-ish they're in dried fruit. I mean, it's in so much stuff that today, unless you're purposefully avoiding it, you might be getting 80% of your fat calories from these things. And as I, you know, it's important to understand a little bit, just a little bit about why are they bad? And that comes down to the chemistry of the fatty acids that they're very high in these kinds of fatty acids called polyunsaturated fatty acids. And the other type of fatty acid you might've heard of is saturated fatty acid, right? That we've heard of in the context of, oh, oh that's the bad one. It's bad because it's going to raise your cholesterol and clog your arteries. You know, you're going to get heart attacks from it. That's why they say things like a steak is a heart attack on a plate. The cardiologist will tell you, you probably heard that, right? Yes. Working in a cardiologist, I probably heard that a billion times. But that is actually part of the biggest medical lie ever laid on the plate, literally of the American population. And now like the global population, the whole world is under this delusion that saturated fat is unhealthy and polyunsaturated fatty acids can do you no harm. And really the polyunsaturated fatty acids are, they're death in a bottle. I mean, they couldn't be worse, but the reason that they're bad for us is so multi-layered and complicated and kind of hard for doctors to get our heads wrapped around that it's just not really easy to explain in a single like medical sounding sentence, right? It's not easy to design a single study to show that these things aren't healthy and there's no interest in designing a single study. This was the original medical lie, and it was a medical lie for a reason that I can go into if you'd like to hear the story.
1: <laughs> no, I, th- I think the listeners were would definitely be interested, and I think you know through knowledge comes power. And for some people that are unaware of like where the science diverged one direction, and then the processed food industry and lobbyists <laughs> pushed another direction. I think it's important to understand this is where you know one of those key times where our health got hijacked.
0: Yes. And so it goes way back to a man named Ansel Keys and the American Heart Association back in the 1940s and 50s. So the American Heart Association at that time was a collection of doctors. It was not a money-making organization. And it was really geeky doctors who wanted to get together and share their insights about various types of heart disease. At that point in time, heart attacks were becoming increasingly common. And they were alarmed about that because not too long prior, doctors could have gone, their cardiologists could have gone their entire careers without seeing a heart attack, which at that time they called a coronary because the arteries in the heart are coronary arteries. Mm -hmm. And so the pivotal point in history for The nutrition science basically occurred when the American Heart Association voted to start accepting funding from industry so that they could become more influential, more powerful, just be a more successful organization, right? Money drives everything. But so that's could have been okay, right? It could have been okay. But where they went over to the dark, I'm not saying like, you know, money is the root of all evil because you can be responsible, but where they went over to the dark side is when a man named Ansel Keys wormed his way into the leadership of that association, promoting the idea that was his idea. And he wanted to be, you know, to stake his claim in history for coming up with this brilliant idea that it was increasing dietary fats that were causing these coronary attacks. And none of the science that he did was what anyone who looks at it has considered quality science. I think he wasn't really interested in the truth. So because Ansel Keyes was more interested in proving that he was right and not really interested in getting to the real root of the problem, he compromised all kinds of research that he was doing. Using a variety of clever tactics, like statistical sleight of hand, where he would show that the countries that ate the most fat had the most heart attacks. And this was from a famous study where he used seven countries to show the correlation, but there were many other countries he didn't include in the study that had he included them, there would have been no correlation. And he did a variety of other tricks. And actually, I recently blogged about that on my website, drkate.com and so for anyone interested it's a real important pivotal point in our you know history of the country actually <laughs> because it really changed everything about the way we eat and our health but the key thing that ansel keys did that helped to make him influential was he had already likely established deep relationships with companies like procter and gamble or, and who were the manufacturers of Processed food because he was involved in feeding the army during World War II with their the K ration and that K in there was for Keys. So the way he fed the military was just by giving them processed food. So they got canned meat, a couple of crackers, chocolate, cigarettes, chewing gum, just stuff you could get off the shelf, and you know none of that was particularly you wouldn't die of starvation with that stuff but it's certainly not anyone's idea of healthy food i think that was where he started to develop relationships with processed food manufacturers and the key thing with the american heart association was that he played a role brokering a deal where the procter and gamble would fund the american heart association to the tune of 1.7 million dollars and Procter & Gamble's product was Crisco, which is hydrogenated vegetable oil. So here's the American Heart Association getting their biggest ever infusion of cash, really their first infusion of cash. And it's putting them in bed with makers of vegetable oil. So no surprise that to this day, the American Heart Association still recommends vegetable oil, which is just a term. It's an industry term for any one of those three C's and three S's. It's synonymous sort of with seed oil, but it's more the term that you'll see on a ingredients list. You won't see seed oil on the ingredients list. So that's the American Heart Association's origin story. And the American Heart Association is a real powerhouse controlling what doctors learn and what doctors think. They have a dozen publications that are all medical journals that are considered the gospel truth. And they fund millions and millions of dollars of research every year. And they get, where does that money come from? Big food, like, well, the makers of vegetable oil. I think it's either Monsanto or Dow. It's one of their big ones. And big pharma. And then hospital organizations. Mm -hmm. So these are the folks who are leading medical nutritional thought. And they're in bed with people who really don't care about our health and sell products that either make us sick or make money when we are sick. And it's all a mirage. I mean, none of it is creating health because as you and I know, health comes from nature, right? It doesn't come from drugs. It doesn't come from medical interventions or procedures. And it certainly doesn't come from food that didn't exist before factory industrial processing was invented. But yet that's what the American Heart Association preaches today and still teaches doctors and nurse practitioners and physician assistants, nurses, trainers, like everybody, they are the, the source of, you know, the current nutritional dogma them. And you can't, but why should we trust them? (laughs)
1: Like. It's no wonder. I mean, there's no objectivity. And isn't that at the basis, at the root of science is that we are meant to question dogma and we are meant to, you know, not just make assumptions. We're meant to actually look at the research. And so when it's cherry picked like that, for anyone that's listening, this has influenced every single aspect of your life, whether you realize this or not. This is how pivotal and important this shift was, that this lack of objectivity is fostering the education and knowledge of the people who treat you when you're sick. The pharmaceutical industry, it's influencing the food that you're having available at your stores. And much to your point, it's profits over health, and that is really the status quo. And so what that has led to is this increasingly metabolically inflexible Obese and sick population, which I think is a true tragedy. I mean, and I'm sure for both of us, I've been around on the earth long enough to know that things were very different when I was growing up, trying to explain to my children in the 70s and the 80s when I was growing up, you didn't see a lot of childhood obesity. There weren't just, you know, you just didn't see copious amounts of fast food everywhere you went. It was a special occasion to go out to eat, it wasn't something we did every night. Today's podcast is sponsored by NutriSense. It combines cutting edge technology and human expertise so you can see how your body responds to different types of nutrition, stress, This has a great deal to do with our body producing fewer enzymes, which are responsible for digesting food. Fewer enzymes oftentimes means more difficulty digesting food as well as bloating and gas. And if you're over the age of 35, like so many of my listeners, your enzyme levels have already begun to decline. That's why I'm a huge fan of enzyme supplementation. And the best digestive enzyme I have ever found comes from my friends of BioOptimizers called Masszymes. Masszymes is the most complete, most potent digestive enzyme I've ever seen or experienced with over 102% more protease than the nearest competitor and 300 to 500% more per serving than most popular brands. I take Masszymes with my largest meal of the day, sometimes two, generally three, and it's made a big difference in my digestion. What makes this digestive enzyme most helpful is that it is particularly beneficial in helping to break down protein, not properly breaking down your protein and digesting it creates a variety of problems from bloating to inflammation and beyond. Masszymes not only contains more protease, it contains 13 additional enzymes, including lipase for fat digestion, which work at every pH level from 2 to 12, in other words, at every stage of digestion. All of this makes Masszymes an ideal complement to any muscle building or fat loss diet. And you can try it risk-free. Their 365-day full money-back guarantee is the gold standard in the industry. And if you don't feel how Mass Zymes helps you upgrade your digestion and power through your food, their support team will give you a no-questions-asked refund. Go to biooptimizers.com and use code Cynthia10 to get 10% off your first purchase. That's wwwb slash Cynthia, and use code Cynthia10 to get 10% off. And so I'm sure for you, you probably have, you know, watched all these shifts and how troubling it is as a clinician and as a human being, to watch people's health really suffering.
0: I didn't really have a clue about that until my eyes were open to so many things when I was on Hawaii because that's where I had this personal health crisis was on the island of Hawaii. And it was there that I also observed some really important things about just the shift in human health because Hawaii, at that time, when I was there, this was in the early knots, you know, from 2000 to 2010 and the folks who were in their sixties had grown up where there was almost like no electricity. That means no refrigeration. That means your food, you were going to be catching it, growing it yourself, getting, you know, you made everything, everything was massively fresh. They didn't have refrigeration there. Of course there were canned products and famous, their famous, you know, national animal is spam, yeah. national, of the state. <laughs> And, but the 65 year olds who were my patients at that point in time, they were healthier than their own children and grandchildren. I mean, they were working full time physical labor jobs in their sixties, and then they would go home and make dinner from scratch. And if they had extra time, they would maybe do a workout video. I mean, it was like these people are unstoppable energy bunnies. It's not just like that they weren't overweight, which right? they, say, they maybe actually had a few extra pounds, some of them, but, but their health was just, astounding. And just how quickly it dropped off between generations was troubling and shocking. And I really wanted to understand where that was coming from. So, you know, that's where my first book, Deep Nutrition, I talk about what is it that it takes to build a healthy human and My eyes were also open to the kinds of foods that these folks ate. (laughs) So Hawaii is really a melting pot of a lot of different uh, nationalities. Where I was, was heavily, heavily Filipino Mm influenced. And they would raise their own goats. They would hunt pig and they would use every part of the animal so that when you go, you would go to one of these family buffets and it would be just this buffet full of colorful, but totally foreign and even intimidating foods where like, there was one thing that was purple and yellow and green and it was the purple was liver. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The yellow was egg yolk. And then the green was some kind of vegetable I'd never heard before in my life. And, you know, it was just, the tastes were so intense and crazy. That was an eye opener because my idea of like a healthy meal was you know, lean meat and maybe some brown rice or some kind of wheat flour-based bread and, you know, an un- uninteresting vegetables, uninteresting because we couldn't use butter or any kind of fat to really uh, liven them up. So that's like a very, on a very simple level, the food that we really need to be optimally healthy has so much more complexity and information in it than the food that we get today. And then when you throw on top of it, these Foods that are basically toxins waiting to happen. They are slow developing toxins. They have to build up, the vegetable oils have to build up to a certain concentration in our body fat, which takes years to happen. And, but when they do, then they promote inflammation and they just disrupt our hormones and lead to obesity by way of causing. Diabetes. And that's what I talk about in the fat burn fix that it's these seed oils that make our cells dependent on sugar. And when our cells are dependent on sugar, that's the beginning of diabetes. It's not what you commonly hear, which is that we're eating too much sugar and that's the driver. Insulin is the driver there. It's these seed oils that make our cells want more sugar. And the driver is that our bodies change so fundamentally that our fasting blood sugar set point actually elevates. And that's what leads to all this metabolic disease, even in a normal weight person, right? So most folks respond to this change by this physiologic need for more sugar by snacking. And ultimately it's very difficult to control your calorie intake. So you end up overeating and getting overweight, but some folks just are able to maintain their weight at a normal level, but the way they compensate for the empty calories is by becoming malnourished. And so what that translates to is autoimmune diseases and digestive system problems, right? We have so many kids now, they talk about the obesity epidemic, but there's a kind of a scarier epidemic. I mean, obesity is reversible and easily, we know how to do that now, right? The fat burn fix lays it out and lots of other books can help too, but of course mine is best. It's a
1: wonderful book. I agree
0: thank you but what's harder is when you have children who have food intolerances or their digestive system doesn't allow them to eat healthy foods so how many people have you worked with where they say well okay I'm able to change my diet but my child doesn't want to eat anything other than chicken nuggets and those fish crackers or like three foods right because they're either intolerant or their tastes Won't allow for it, they don't enjoy it. There's something fundamentally wrong with that development of that child's appetite system or their digestive system that relates to all this malnutrition. And that's kind of the more insidious and really terrifying part of all this is that we've fundamentally changed a lot of children's ability to eat healthy. So we can talk about what we're supposed to be doing, but when you try to bring it home, to the dinner table with your family and you've got a child who just refuses, that's a battle. We're not really armed to fight. And, you know, so, well, what do you do about it? Right. You need a lot of support. And the key thing is you have to, to have doctors who, you know, your health care providers, whether they're naturopathic doctors or functional medicine doctors, they need to be on your side about what a good diet is, because if you're fighting that battle, You're fighting your own health battle. Then you're fighting these dinnertime battles. It's
1: insurmountable. I think there's so much confusion about what nutrition is. What does that look like? I think there are these camps that people fall in, like they will have success, whether keto or low carb or carnivore or vegan diets and they have success, which I think is wonderful because, you know, we all have to find our ways. And I have strong preferences about one of those four, I just mentioned, which I don't want to dive down that rabbit hole because that's sticky. But the point being that people are so confused, they don't know what to eat because they get on and they look on social media or they read a blog. And so, you know, I think one of the things that I really love and appreciate about your work is that you really make the information very accessible for people to understand, you know, when we're really talking about the damage that these seed oils, vegetable oils cause, you know, they're very inflammatory, but they actually, you know, into the cell, you know, the mitochondria, which is the powerhouses of our cells, they actually damage the mitochondria. And so that, you know, is one of those other aspects of seed oils that are so non-beneficial, but when we're touching about metabolism because i get this question all the time and i'm sure you do as well we've been so conditioned that we worry about calories and what we need to be far more concerned about is the quality of the food that we're consuming and so when you're working with someone when you're you know speaking to people because this comes up quite a bit, people will always say, but there's so much that I have to do. And I always say, you know, slow and steady wins, you know, small, simple changes. But a lot of your message, which I'm hoping everyone is hearing is the most important change you can make right now is to remove these inflammatory oils from your life. And it remains that you are going to have to read a lot of food labels. One of the things that I do with some frequency is I do videos and I'll go to Costco or Trader Joe's or like Whole Foods. And my only thing that I say is, no soy no canola and i mean and that's like beyond that i'm like i'm willing to try it i'm willing to look at this product and it's so hard especially trader joe's in particular because it's in everything but the point being it is worth to make the effort so that you pull these things out of your diet so you can you know take step one towards a healthier lifestyle
0: and everybody agrees that those are the unhealthy oils except for the source of this original lie in the first place, which is the American Heart Association and, and the doctors who are influenced by them. So that part of it is not really controversial. I mean, you can have people who've had success with uh, going gluten-free or going dairy-free or a vegan diet or a keto diet. And what they all have in common in their success is that they've eliminated these seed oils and they've started eating either more whole food, plant-based oils or more whole food animal-based oils, or a combination. And so I think it's important to understand that, you know, the only reason that we think saturated fat is unhealthy is because this organization has been lying to us about it for 60 years. But the thing, the little seed of fear that they create is this idea of cholesterol clogging your arteries. Because it's true that if you eat fewer vegetable oils, and you start eating more saturated fat, whether it's from plant or animal, your cholesterol numbers are going to go up. And we've also been conditioned to believe by this same organization that that is a problem. And so a key thing that really helps is to realize that high cholesterol, even though everyone will tell you it's a problem, it's not a problem. We don't have any good evidence showing that it is a problem. And in fact, I've just completed a post about this on my website. We have evidence showing that if you lower your cholesterol levels with seed oils, that you die sooner, doesn't protect you from heart attacks, and it increases your chance of dying from cancer, infectious disease, and even dementia. So the reason that the saturated fat lie persists in spite of the fact that No one in the real health space, I think actually even talks that way, you know, like the things that I mentioned, functional medicine and naturopaths, they don't talk about saturated fat being bad. It's really only the medical field. And we've all been just brainwashed that by the American Heart Association and all the folks that depend on them. And that's the American Diabetes Association the American Diabetes Association, they don't have any doctors. They just point to medical doctors and they point to the American Heart Association. Same with the American Cancer Society. They point to nutrition information from the American Heart Association. So the entire like consumer market of nutritional information is dominated by the American heart association, and they make their money telling us these two lies that polyunsaturated fats are healthy and that cholesterol is going to clog your arteries, but it's just simply not true. So that's another part of the complexity of this trap. And it really is a trap that people get sucked into and the medical system is a trap, right? They, we do help people in some ways, right. With emergency medicine and we're pretty good with antibiotics and life-saving stuff like that. But the rest of it, the chronic disease management, the cardiology aspect of it, the cancer aspect of it, the stroke aspect of it, that is a lot of just creating sickness because we've been telling people to follow a diet that creates sickness. And then conveniently we can sell medications to manage the sickness but it all comes down to this one lie about the seed oils the vegetable oils being healthy and saturated fat and cholesterol being unhealthy that's really the origin of all of it it's the original sin
1: and it's so disturbing on so many levels you know i as i was preparing for our discussion and as i mentioned before my intermittent fasting group is reading your book and they're loving it they've given me so much feedback and actually some of the questions that we're discussing today are things that, you know, have kind of, they've kind of identified that they're curious to know more about as you're unpacking these vegetable oils and you start to see how it, you know, it kind of, it's very pro-inflammatory. So it creates a lot of inflammation, which impacts your satiety hormones. And this is important for people to understand It's not just a, you don't have enough control. It's your body has been hijacked. You know, it's the satiety gets impacted impacts the hypothalamus. It you know, impacts leptin resistance, which is that key satiety hormone. And the more adipose tissue or fat tissue you have, the more leptin resistance you have. So your brain's not getting communication that you're full. And that's why you can sometimes see someone sitting in a fast food restaurant that's morbidly obese, that's eating a massive meal and their body, they literally are nutritionally starved. I mean, that's really what what that comes down to. And then how this impacts your carbohydrate addiction. Like, you know, it's like following these little clues. It's absolutely astounding. And, you know, as a clinician, as a human being, as a mom, I mean, you know, this book to me is one of the most important books I've read in the last year because it really just all makes so much sense. Now I'm going to pivot a little bit because I promise this is all relevant to what we're talking about. But as we're continuing on the pandemic and I think most of us are, on, you know, pandemic, we're we're kind of pandemic fatigue, we're doing our part, we're doing the things we're being asked. But no one's really talking about what I perceive to be the real pandemic, That it's, you know, the metabolic inflexibility, the obesity, the diabetes that is really making people certainly much more susceptible to the complications from this virus. And so, you know, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, What you're thinking at, you know, now that we're, you know, heading into seemingly like month eight, it seems like it's never going to go away, but as we're moving forward, what are the things that that are occurring to you that are of concern and why aren't we having the dialogue? Like, why isn't anyone, everyone wants to focus on the fear mongering, but like, let's talk about the real elephant in the room is the fact that we've got this metabolically diseased population that is going to be much more susceptible to complications. Absolutely.
0: And the reason coronavirus kills people isn't that it's such a horrific and aggressive virus that takes over our bodies in, you know, over the course of days or weeks. It's because it's evolved to capitalize on the fact that
1: one of my favorite ways to take care of my health is with appropriate electrolyte replacement. And my favorite brand is Element. We know that proper hydration leads to better sleep. Focus, energy, and more. And we know that hydration isn't just about drinking water. Being optimally hydrated is about optimizing your body fluids ratios. And electrolytes are a component of proper hydration. Element is formulated with a science backed electrolyte ratio, which includes sodium, potassium, and magnesium. And with the amount of travel that I do personally and professionally, One of the ways that I stay on track is with electrolyte supplementation while traveling And we know that in traveling, the atmosphere in planes is kept at 10 to 20% humidity and dry air dehydrates us much more quickly, pulling more moisture from our skin and breath. This means that those of us that travel with some frequency need to hydrate even more. Properly supplementing electrolytes can help to prevent dehydration headaches, support our energy needs to minimize the effects of jet lag and decrease the risk of blood clotting on long haul flights. And Element is offering a free sample pack with any purchase. You want to go to www.drinklmnt.com Cynthia. That's drinklmnt.com Cynthia. My personal favorite is orange with a close second of grapefruit, but there's lots of great varieties and the free sample pack allows you to try all of the flavors out from the beauty of your own home. Again, that's 360cookware.com and use code CYNTHIA20 for 20% off your first order. We've been using their products over the last several months and have really been pleased with not only the durability, but ease of cleanliness. People
0: are walking around with pro-inflammatory body fat. So it's really the inflammatory conditions that are killing people. We get inflammation in the lungs that translates to fluid in the lungs or ARDS. We get inflammation in the blood vessels that translates to this cytokine storm and all these blood clots that are occurring and causing young folks to have strokes, and they don't even have to be overweight. So this is the thing that is just so key is, you know, I would say, actually, I did say on um, national TV that if we had taken away seed oils, just magically wiped them out five years ago the coronavirus would not be killing anybody but the same groups that the flu kills, which is the extremes of age, the very old and maybe the very young, but actually the coronavirus doesn't seem to be able to infect the very young the way the flu virus can. So it truly would not be a thing. It wouldn't be such a scary pandemic. The reason it's scary is because young people are being not only, you know, gravely sickened and sent to the hospital, but they're dying and If they don't die, they don't come out of the hospital the same because they've got these chronic things, you know, like fatigue, brain fog, and sometimes they've suffered strokes. But that inflammation came from the fact that their body fat is full of seed oils. And when I was on real time with Bill Maher and his audience is probably- yeah, he's probably got like 10, 20 million people worldwide. And I said, I challenge anyone. I want to hear from you actually. If you've had these things out of your diet for, you know, a year even, but certainly five years, and you had a case of coronavirus. And you're under 65 and you had to go to the intensive care unit. I want to hear from you. Tell me you are going to be, you're going to prove me wrong. And I have not heard from a single person. I heard from a lot of people. I have like a thousand people, more than that a day on my website. Our book sold out. We went up to the New York Times bestseller list. Thank you. And then, but nobody has said, oh, I cut these out and I got sick. Except one person who also had Lyme disease, right? So that's another caveat if you have like <laughs> end stage HIV. Or, yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but you know, beyond that, so these seed oils are really the driving factor, in my opinion, for the pandemic. And I think if you stop eating them on day one, you're doing yourself good because every day that you consume these things, they're going into your gut and causing inflammation there. And that's where your immune system really kind of faces its first set of challenges. It kind of begins actually in your gut because, you know, you eat all these different foods. It's so complicated in there. What is friend or foe in there? And if your immune system in your gut is facing inflammation, it has just a really hard time figuring things out. And then the inflammation also kind of lays out the red carpet for pathogenic organisms, which also brings you down a notch mm-hmm. in terms of your, the efficiency of your immune system and your ability to fight off infections. And it's just, and on and on it goes. So these seed oils are, they're the worst possible invention that, you know, makes us sick, but we don't hear about them and they're flavorless. So we don't think about them. They don't sustain life <laughs> and we consume, and yet Harvard and Tufts They say we ought to be eating more of them as if completely unaware that we're already eating 80% of our calories are already from these things. We're already eating way more of them than we are of saturated fats, especially whole food-based saturated fats, not saturated fats that come from the like margarine in the process of hydrogenation. So actually after me, after I was on Bill Maher, so I was the first doctor to talk about really anything in several years on Real Time with Bill Maher. And then three weeks after I'm on, they bring in somebody from Tufts, a man who's like this 50 something tall, very authoritarian looking to reassure folks that, no, no, Harvard has it right. We really need to be eating more seed oils because I said, you know, that's they're the problem. So they had somebody come on just three weeks later to correct the information that this woman gave out, right? That we have this standard, you know, if I weren't a doctor, I could play one on TV kind of Mm -hmm. looking character that has all the weight and might of Tufts and all kinds of Ivy league credentials behind him. But he didn't say anything other than, you know, nutritionally, he had no insights. All he did was just parrot the usual, well, we need to move more and eat less. And what, you know, and PS, if you go to my website and see what I recommend about nutrition, I say, we got to be eating more seed oils. We're not eating enough. 80% doesn't quite cut it. So this is the the reason, you know, that we have all this so-called confusion, but it's on purpose. And as soon as you become comfortable with the idea that that is on purpose, that the confusion is on purpose and that, you know, there's no conflicting research. There's only conflicted research.
1: And I'm so grateful that you had that opportunity to share that message because, you know, if a thousand people reached out to you, imagine how many more you impacted that maybe didn't immediately go to your website or didn't immediately buy a book, but you've got people starting to have that discussion. And I always say to people that sometimes when I have to dispel dogma, my favorite one is that breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and I love your caveat that if you're going to have breakfast, make sure it's started with some fats and some protein instead of carbs. You know, it's starting that narrative, and being a disruptor sometimes can be kind of a, a lonely place, but it's so absolutely necessary. And clearly, if calories in, calories out was effective, if exercise, eat more, you know, exercise more, eat less was effective if all these kind of antiquated dogmas were really effective, then why would we have this increasingly obese population? So I'm so grateful for your work. I would love for you. I want to be very mindful of your time. Give listeners a couple of things they can do right now, other than, you know, really be cognizant of your seed oils, ask questions when you're in a restaurant, if you're in an area of the country where you can't actually go out to eat, You know, asking what things are cooked in and looking at food labels, but what are some of the other things people can do like slow steps? Because I think some of the concern is always, it's expensive to make a lot of changes all at once. It's also very hard to do that. But what are some of the more important ones that you feel like if you have to pick a couple that are the most critical, what would they be in your estimation? So the first one is going to be
0: build yourself a healthy breakfast because breakfast is the most important meal of the day, not to screw up. We set ourselves on a sugar dependent path if we have a high carb breakfast and we can set ourselves on a fat burning path if we have a high healthy fat breakfast, but we got to have things like eggs or cream like what I have for breakfast every day is coffee with about a cup of milk in about probably an eighth of a cup of cream. And that's raw actually too, because I think it's so much more delicious when it comes from cows who got grass. And I don't have lunch. I don't get hungry for lunch. So that's because my metabolism is really able to, it's flexible, right? So it switches from burning the calories and whatever you just ate to burning your body fat, but not everybody can do that right off the bat. And that's what the fat burn Bix fix is really supposed to help you navigate how do you get from where you are, where are you first of all, and how do you get from wherever you are to where you can burn your body fat better. And so that it really starts with building a breakfast that puts you on the right path for the rest of the morning and in many ways, the rest of the day. So that's one thing. And then another thing is just to adopt the idea that there really truly is no such thing as a healthy snack, right? Like we talk about, like I have actually part of the plan in the fat burn fix book is part of the first phase where I'm not focusing on weight loss. I'm focusing on metabolic health optimization. I get people close to a keto diet So there's keto snacks all over the place and fat bombs and all this kind of stuff. Any kind of a snack you have is going to block your fat burning because you just ate some calories and your body is going to use those calories instead of having to do the work of taking those calories and putting them in storage as fat. Meanwhile, it's, burning your body fat at the same time. It doesn't do that. So you start burning those calories instead of your body fat. So it blocks your body fat burning. And I think that stopping snacking is essential before you're ready, really, even for a lot of the intermittent fasting that folks do, because I find that when you are not good enough yet at burning your own body fat, your metabolism, it's not, you are not good. Obviously Mm -hmm. your metabolism hasn't recovered yet. It's not flexible enough where you can burn your body fat. If you try to do some of the time restricted feeding or intermittent fasting, it you end up, stressing yourself like mentally, because it's just not easy. You're not ready for it. And your hunger is really a key indicator of your metabolic health. And so that's what I teach in the fat burn fix. And I think that's kind of a key message for folks listening is if you're experiencing hunger, that's a sign that you're not really ready to focus on restricting calories in a way that makes you lose weight, because ultimately you do have to eat less calories than you consume, but that's not easy or really healthy to do when you aren't burning your body fat. Cause if you're already, let's say you want to lose, you know, 50 pounds, but on a daily basis, you're already at your current, whatever your weight, your calorie intake is to maintain that excess weight, it's excess calories, right? Say it's 2,500 calories and maybe you need really 1,800 or something. If you're already hungry, how are you going to be able to ever cut out calories if you're already hungry? I mean, you're already eating 2,500 calories. So you might not really be ready. Some people can start losing weight right away because they build their meals so that they sustain the meal itself sustains their energy and then kind of slides them into being able to release their stored energy more efficiently so that you actually do start burning some of your body fat. But if your metabolism is more damaged, that's not going to happen and you're going to end up producing more sugar out of your own muscle. And that's just not healthy. So that's why I really like folks to understand where they are in their metabolic health, you know, Process of going from a fat burner to a sugar burner. That's what the American standard American diet does. It makes fat burners into sugar burners. And what a healthy diet does is it takes sugar burners and makes them fat burners again. So but you have to understand where you are on that spectrum so that you can understand how flexible you are. And that determines whether or not you're really ready to lose weight. So, like that was kind of a long-winded way of saying that one of the key take-homes is. Paying attention to hunger is more important, and energy levels is more important than paying attention to the number on the scale for a certain point in time. Once you get your hunger under control and your
1: energy levels have improved, now you can start paying attention to that
0: number on the scale.
1: Well, this has been just a delight for me, and I look forward to having you back in 2021 and seeing what you're doing. How can my listeners find you? Obviously, I'm a huge proponent of your books. I have both of them, and I always proudly like to mention the amount of earmarking I do with red pen is a sure sign. It's a good book in my estimation and one that will be very valuable to my listeners. How can people find you? How can they find your blog? Obviously I have to finish watching that episode with Bill Maher, which I thought you were masterful in. <laughs> Thank you.
0: So uh, my website is drkate.com. That's D-R-C-A-T-E.com. And And that'll lead you to the books and the other resources that I have. I also have a lot of good, like free resources. So please, if you come sign up to be a subscriber and you'll get a lot of support, I think, from being part of the community, because it really takes more than one person working alone. And, you know, your podcast has probably inspired numerous (laughs) people and, you know, I love it when I hear people are gathering together, you know, and and forming little groups about this. Like just yesterday I was speaking to somebody who has a physical therapy practice and they, it's a husband and wife team and they have required their, all their staff to kind of understand this aspect of nutrition. So they had them all read both my books. And so now like that's a community and they can, now they can support each other, right? They can, Talk about, you know, how do you solve all the problems that we're facing when we're just trying to be regular folks, living our lives, not having our lives like focus on thinking about food? How do you make it easy? That's sort of collective consciousness is key.
1: I absolutely agree. Thank you again for your time today and have a wonderful rest of your week.
0: Thanks so much, Cynthia. It's been really nice meeting you and talking to you. Thanks for listening to Everyday Wellness. If you loved this episode, please leave us a rating and review, subscribe, and remember, tell a friend. And if you want to connect with us online, visit the link in the show notes.